friends, and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Podcast episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCF podcast at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Sophie Chafin-Vance, a bank executive in Southwest Virginia and the daughter of Virginia State Senator Ben Chafin, who tragically passed away on New Year's Day from COVID-19. She joins us today for a conversation about her father, the virus that took his life too soon, and her work to promote the COVID-19 vaccine in her community. Welcome to the program, Sophie. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let me start again by saying how much we truly appreciate you being with us today to talk about your father. And please know that you and your family have our condolences on your loss. Thank you so much. I- I'm very happy to be here. And it's such an important message to be spreading across the Commonwealth. For those who may not be familiar with your father, let's start by telling our listeners about him. Ben Chafin was a pillar of his community in Abingdon and Russell County, a cattle farmer, attorney, and family man who was active in civil life and served in the Virginia House of Delegates before winning election to the state Senate. He was a man with a kind disposition and an open mind who believed in conservative values but also worked in bipartisan fashion to improve the lives of people, as demonstrated by his vote a few years ago in the legislature to help thousands of uninsured Virginians gain access to health care coverage. That overview only scratches the surface of Senator Chafin. Sophie, what else would you like our listeners to know about your father? My father was many things to many people, and there is a significant loss in all of our hearts. And most of all, he was a grandparent to my children. And the loss has been so great, I just don't think we'll ever recover from it. And if I understand correctly, your father was just 60 years old when he contracted COVID-19 in late 2020, which is when Virginia experienced the third of four total pandemic surges so far in the Commonwealth. If you would, can you tell us about the circumstances surrounding his illness and subsequent hospitalization as his symptoms intensified? Yes, he received COVID during a meeting amongst clients that he was representing on a long-standing case that was going on that they wanted to close by the end of the year. Someone came to that meeting and was infected with COVID from the Thanksgiving holiday. From that meeting, I believe there were five people that contracted COVID. There were two that were hospitalized, including my father, and my father lost his life due to it. He tested, so that was on a Monday and Tuesday that he was in that in that meeting. That Friday is when he tested positive. So he tested positive on the 4th of December and was hospitalized the following Thursday when his oxygen level dropped below 80. And my mother also had COVID. She received COVID from him bringing it into the house. She did not get anywhere near as sick as him, but when his oxygen level dropped, they had to take him to the hospital because she was afraid that he would pass out. The ambulance would have to come. So he checked in. In. He was able to walk into the ER. He was very out of breath. and He left the house with basically nothing. My family was on a trip to Disney World, and we were returning on the 12th, and that's when my mom told me that he was that he had been put in the hospital. So I was messaging with him, text messages, and then the following day was when he was intubated, and then he never, he never woke up from being intubated. I had him flown from Abingdon, Virginia, at our ballot facility here, Johnston Memorial Hospital, to VCU. You know, at the time, the week after he'd been there, VCU was voted number one in the state for healthcare. So I felt like I had him at the best place 
in Virginia. He wanted to stay in Virginia. He didn't want to go to Tennessee or any other state. So once he got up there, we really learned very quick, Selena, that they didn't have like a a magic wand that they could wave to make him better again. You know, I was under the belief that once you were hospitalized, that they could do things for you and that you were going to be okay. That is not so. Even to this day, that is not so. So we found out real quick how inundated the hospital staff was, you know, they are such warriors. The amount of PTSD that our healthcare workers are likely to suffer from all of this is going to be so great. And we have years of dealing with that coming to us. They were not able to handle us in the manner that they were used to handling the family members. You know, everything was done by telephone. We did get to go into the hospital and see him probably about three days before he passed. They gave us the call. We had returned home to have Christmas with my family. We wanted to keep my kids. They at the time were five and two. We wanted to have everything be as normal as possible for them because they were very, very upset. So we returned home to have Christmas holiday and the day after Christmas or possibly the 27th, we got a call and it was a med student there that was on dad's case. And he told me that we needed to make our way to Richmond, that they didn't believe that he was going to last the night. And I remember saying, you know, tell me what this means. Does this mean like we have a you know, five to six hour drive from Southwest Virginia to get to Richmond? And I wanted to know, like, is my dad going to die while I'm on 81 trying to get there? Or is there going to be days of him lingering like this? Like, tell me. And I, I remember saying to the medical student, I remember saying, you're not God, but tell me what you believe is going to happen. And then that's when he told me that they did didn't believe he was going to last the night. So we got to Richmond and we were able to go into the hospital facility and we made the decision not to go in his actual room. The way that they have the rooms, you know, everything's zero pressure. The nurses and doctors go in there as little as they have to just because of exposure. All of his devices and everything are on the outside of the room so that they can monitor them, increase them, so on and so forth. So in order to go to the room, we had to agree to quarantine ourselves for 10 days. So we knew if any one of us, there were three of us that went, if any one of us decided to go into that room, we had to even quarantine from each other. So we all made the decision that we were not going to go in that room and possibly expose ourselves. You know, I could have taken it home to my family. Uh, My mom, she'd already had COVID, but she still had to obey by the 10-day rule also. So we went and we talked to him through an iPhone device. And when I say talk to him, we talked at him. He was not able to respond, of course, because he was intubated. And it was one of the most tragic and haunting moments, I believe, of my life. But I believe that if I didn't do it, that I would regret not doing it. So I chose to do it. And I don't regret doing it. But it it has definitely affected me in a manner. So the day that he passed that morning... They were telling us that he was going to have to have dialysis, and I had made the decision. My mother, where she had been sick, she was allowing me to make all of the decisions for my father's health care just because she was having COVID, what they call COVID brain. And we made the decision that morning for us to just push the envelope as far as God was willing to take him. I was not going to stand in the way. Whatever God wanted to do, I was putting it in God's hands. And we went ahead and told him that they needed to go ahead and prepare him for a dialysis. That, you know, we were not going to, this was probably three days after they said that he was going to die in the night. And whenever he got the go ahead, I guess they have to run tests before they'll set you up for dialysis. So he passed the test and they were going to set him up for dialysis. And he started to crash. 
and the doctor told me that it was time that if my siblings, I have a, a younger sister and a younger brother, um, none of them had gotten to talk into the room yet. If they wanted to call and say their final goodbyes, it was time to do so. So we've got them all into contact and had them be able to talk to my dad one last time also. And then we waited and it, it probably took, they they did what they call comfort care and they disconnected him from everything. And it probably took about two hours for him to pass. And then the two hours happened, and we started the journey home because we wanted to make it home to be able to tell his mother. By the time that we got to Whistle, news media was starting to know, and we did make it home in time that we just told my grandmother not to answer the telephone. So we made it home in time to tell her before anybody told her, but it it was an awful experience. All of it was awful. The only shining light was the healthcare providers that we encountered. Since then, we have had, you know, you of course deal with all kinds of things when you lose someone, but we have had, he he had his finger in so many things. We, you know, we had about 400 cattle, 150 before he became sick were needing to be brought to the market and sold. So they had been lingering for, I guess, about Um, two weeks to three weeks. So we were able to ship them out. And since then, we've reduced the herd to under 100. But, you know, we are all in a a learning phase of our life. He did a lot of that for all of us. My mother, you know, she's making decisions that she's never made before. We're all just in a complete and total learning phase because of the loss. Yeah, well, thank you so, so much for recounting those memories for us. So as you've engaged in, you know, community advocacy and support of the COVID-19 vaccine, you made the point that your father contracted the virus and was hospitalized just around the time that vaccine doses started to become available at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, and how things might have been different if the vaccine had been available to him before he became ill. I know that even as you've been outspoken in support of vaccination as a strong defense against illness and hospitalization, including appearing in a ballot health public outreach campaign, you've also spoken about the way people in your community value individual freedom and perhaps how that can sometimes appear to collide with vaccine misinformation online that creates confusion or skepticism for some folks. As we approach the winter and the possibility of another surge, what tactics have you found most effective in speaking to people in Southwest Virginia communities, which unfortunately has some of the lower vaccination rates in Virginia, about the importance of being vaccinated and heeding the advice of medical professionals? I try to lead my life by example and always being above reproach with anything. You know, we have staff members where I work that are completely against the vaccine. I have played with them. I have told them, you know, just the story as I told you, I have told them that they're, they'll leave their family completely lost, just like we have been. I've been able to turn some, I believe my number is up to 36 people that I have helped in some way get vaccinated. I also, when my daughter, she is six years old, when the vaccine became available to her to receive, we were some of the first in Southwest Virginia to receive that vaccine for her. We'll do the same for my son when it becomes available for him. He's currently three. If I could give him the shot tomorrow, I would do so. I am sick of living in fear. I am sick of living in fear and people are, you know, they're going to say, oh, you should, you shouldn't live in fear. You should just let everything, you know, just live your life. When you've seen what I have seen, you can't just live your life. I live in fear that there was something in my father that is in me or in my children that will affect us a different way with the virus that we could possibly end up dead also. You know, he was a perfectly healthy 60 year old that walked probably 10 miles a week and had an active lifestyle. He just came home from a bird hunting trip out to, I believe it was Kansas or South Dakota. 
you know, how do you have someone like that that you lose and you don't, it doesn't affect you in a manner. But I am willing to tell my story, no matter how hard it hurts, I will tell it a hundred times over if it can change one person's mind. One of the things also that we continue to hear is we'll take, this is this is a quote, we'll take the vaccine if you can guarantee that we don't get COVID. Taking the vaccine is not a guarantee that you won't get COVID, but it's a, a pretty good guarantee that you're not going to end up significantly ill and end up in the hospital. So we need to get away from the mindset that if you take the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID. It's going to make you survive COVID is what the vaccine is going to do for you. And for folks that are listening, we want to encourage anyone who's not vaccinated to visit vaccinate.gov or vaccinate.virginia.gov to make an appointment. The COVID-19 vaccination is now available to adults, teens, and children five and older. So normally at this point in the podcast, we would close with a pair of lighthearted personal questions. But today, in honor of your father, I'd like to ask you to answer um, these questions on his behalf. Typically, we'd ask what you would choose for your last meal if you knew your last day on earth was approaching. Instead, I'd like to ask you what you think your father would say if he was asked to choose his favorite meal. My dad loved pizza. (laughs) Usually our closing question on the podcast is to ask our guests to name one book, album, and movie they would want with them if they were stranded on a deserted island. In honor of your father, what would he pick if given that choice? Anything classical rock. And Vinny was his favorite movie. So would you say you got a better shot at him going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible to two youths... Uh, uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. And any type of Civil War book. And I wanted to ask if you had any closing thoughts before we wrapped up. Please get vaccinated. It could mean your chance at life or death. That brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And we want to once again thank our guest, Sophie Chafin-Mance, for joining us today to speak about her father and her advocacy for COVID-19 vaccination. Thank you, Sophie. You and your family are in our prayers. Thank you so much.